0: Good morning everybody, good morning, good morning online, great to uh, be together with all of us uh, today. Um, hey, I just want to say I really do hope you keep that date open June 18th for the potluck at our place, and we're hoping to do that once a month over the summer. We just thought it'd be a great way to kind of have a, like a, get together as a family and have some fun together, right, a church family. So uh, hope you can all join us for that, it'll be, uh, it'll be great. They'll make my neighbors wonder what's going on, too, which will be fun, so that'll be good. Um, I read a story about a guy named Greg Daly who was keeping up with his regular paper route in central New Jersey when an elderly customer stopped him. She'd been having some trouble getting to the bottom of her driveway each morning to pick up her paper, so she asked Greg if he would mind driving up to the garage and just dropping the paper off a little closer to the door and he said sure that'd be fine I'd I'd love to help you out that way and then as he was thinking about that Greg realized that if this customer was having trouble getting down to the sidewalk to pick up her paper she was probably also having trouble getting out to the store and getting her essentials during this quarantine period so the next day Greg included a note with all of the newspapers that he delivered on his route that said, my name is Greg Daly, I I deliver your newspaper every morning, and I'd like to offer you my services free of charge to anyone who needs groceries to go and pick them up for them. So since then, Greg has carefully placed the morning paper and groceries on the doorsteps of over 100 elderly citizens each day. It cool? Great story. Yeah, I love it. And a good word to describe the virtue that Greg Daly models for us in that story. That was him there. I think it was up, right? That was him. Uh, models for us in the story is generosity. You know, Generosity is defined as the willingness to give away or share what we, uh, what we have, whether that's our time, our talents, our energy, our material goods, our money, whatever. And interacting with over 100 elderly people on a regular basis, shopping for them, delivering their groceries, keeping everyone's orders straight, that has to take some time and energy, don't you think? It really is. It's really a generous act. Generosity is kind of a funny thing, though. Generosity is at the heart of Almost every person that we truly admire. And it's one of the traits I would say that we admire most in other people. Being on both the giving and the receiving end of generosity makes us feel good. It it warms our hearts. And yet, even knowing all of that, and and even having experienced all the good feeling that, that comes from giving or receiving generosity, being generous is hard for most of us. Why is that? Well, for several weeks now, we've, we've been in a sermon series called Our Better Angels, and we're talking about the virtues that Jesus is inviting us into so that we can love other people the way he does. Growing in the virtues is how we become more and more like Jesus, because the virtues are really just ways of describing what God is like all the time. So today I want to talk about not just how we can grow in generosity, but how we can even come to love God growing in generosity so that's where we're going you ready why don't you pray with me holy spirit we just ask you to to come and speak to us Uh, we open ourselves to you we we're so grateful for your presence here jesus for the fact that as we gather in your name you really are here with us so we open our, our hearts to you, we open our minds to you, we pray that you would speak to us, work in our lives, change us, Lord, draw us closer to you this morning. We just open ourselves to everything you want to do with us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I'm going to read to you uh, a parable that Jesus told called the Parable of the Talents uh, from Matthew 25, and uh Um, So you may or may not know, when when he's talking about the talents in this passage, a talent was a unit of money back in Jesus' day, and so that's what he's talking about. So it begins, it says, for it, but he's really talking about the kingdom of God. So, for the kingdom of God is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents— to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. And then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents, See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You are a harsh man, uh, or you are a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given." and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Kind of a fearsome ending, right? (laughs) Well, some of us on staff here, uh, Rhonda and Erica and Adam and I, have started reading a book together called The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brueggemann, who's uh, one of the leading theologians in America. Uh, he's actually pretty old now. I think he's in his 80s, uh, but he's, he's been around for a while writing and teaching and and uh, uh, just a, a brilliant man, really. And he wrote this book back in 1978, so a long time ago, the year I graduated college. Um, good year. Uh, it was considered a a 20th century classic in biblical theology. And and as with all true classics, what he wrote over 40 years ago still resonates with truth today. Well, on page one of that book, Brueggemann writes this. He said, The contemporary American church is so largely enculturated to the American ethos of consumerism that it has little power to believe or to act. Let me read that again. The contemporary American church is so largely enculturated to the American ethos of consumerism that it has little power to believe or to act. Well, In other words, what he's really saying is we Christians are for the most part just as addicted to consuming as everyone else. And that addiction, as all addictions do, makes us weak. That's really what Brueggemann's saying there. But Jesus died and rose again to set us free. Amen? Yeah. The Holy Spirit's been poured into our hearts to change us and to lead us into the freedom of the kingdom of God. And through this parable that I read, known as the parable of the talents, Jesus is inviting us into his freedom. The parables that Jesus told are stories, right? That's what a parable is. It's a story, but it's a story with a point. Parables always have a main point. And the main point that Jesus is making in this parable is that while the kingdom of God had begun to break into this world through Jesus while he was on this earth, it wouldn't come completely for a long time. The kingdom of God is what you have when what God wants to have happen actually happens. I, I love that definition of the kingdom. When what God wants to happen actually happens. So when Jesus was here, the sick were healed. The blind gained their sight. The hungry were fed. The outsiders were included. Those who had been rejected were loved. Our God is an overwhelmingly generous God all of the time. And so that that generosity flowed out through Jesus in all sorts of ways, changing lives all around him. That's the kingdom of God coming. That's what it looks like. Well, the Jews who were around Jesus and with Jesus during those days could see that. They could see that that was what was going on. And so they expected that that meant this is it. You know, God's kingdom is now going to flood the earth, or at least Israel, and change everything. So Jesus told parables like this one to teach them no, that's not the way it's going to happen. I'm going to go away for a while. And the fullness of God's kingdom won't arrive for a long time, not until I return a long time from now. But in the meantime, The kingdom is going to keep coming, little by little, and it's going to come through you. Well, here's the problem. Somewhere along the way, a lot of us Christians seem to have forgotten who we are, who God is, and what we're here for. Like Brueggemann said, we've been shaped more by the consumerism of our culture than by the gospel of Jesus. And it's hard not to be because we're inundated by that consumerism all the time. It's just the the ocean that we swim in, right? We're not even aware of it most of the time. And we're told through that consumerism, we're told that what matters most is is what we can get and how much we have and how good all of that makes us feel. That even gets applied to, to why we come to church. You know, how much do I get out of it? How does it make my life better? You know, or how good does it make me feel? Now, those actually aren't bad desires. They're all a hunger for the blessings of the kingdom of God, for the goodness and the life and the the peace and the joy that God wants us to have. But when you make getting the blessings your focus, that messes things up, right? that's kind of the paradox of how the kingdom works. it messes things up when you make getting the blessings your focus well then you'll never be satisfied you'll never have enough the blessings of the kingdom of God don't come through pursuing the blessings They don't come through trying to get them for ourselves. They don't come through consumerism, which should be obvious to us because we live in the wealthiest culture in the history of the world, and yet stress and depression and unhappiness are epidemic. Right? Yeah. So what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things, all these things that you desire, all those things will be provided for you. So what we really hunger for, Jesus is saying, what will actually satisfy us are the fruit, the result of seeking first the kingdom of God. And this parable tells us how to do that, or at least part of how to do that. First of all, it reminds us of who we are. It says, for the kingdom of God is just like a man about to go on a journey, and he called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. We are God's servants. Now, we're also his beloved children, right? And and we need to hold both of those truths at the same time. Being servants doesn't mean that we're we're pawns somehow uh, in the hands of a capricious God who's just using us for things that aren't for our good. No, God loves us beyond measure. We're his beloved children too. But being servants means that we are here for a reason. We have a purpose in this world. We're not just here for ourselves. We're not just saved so that we can go to heaven someday. We're here to take part in the kingdom of God coming into this world through us. That's our purpose. We're God's servants. Your life is not your own. That's a pretty radical statement in today's culture, isn't it? Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? Yeah. We're God's servants. And he's entrusted his possessions to us, he tells us. He's given us everything that we have. Our intelligence, our talents, our our natural abilities, our spiritual gifts, uh, our possessions, our money, our ability to earn money. All of these things are either directly or indirectly a gift from God. Everything we have is like that. And we've been given a lot our God is overwhelmingly generous. That's the point in the parable of saying how much each of these servants was given. You know, a talent, I don't know if you know this, a talent was equal to about 20 years of wages. How much do you earn in 20 years? I mean, it's a lot, right? You start multiplying that out. And so whether it was the five talents, you know, 100 years wages there, or two talents, or even just one talent, whatever he gave them, it was a lot. Our God is overwhelmingly generous toward us. But what consumerism causes us to do is to focus on what we don't have, uh, on what others have that uh, we want to have, right, where we feel like we're coming up short. Can I encourage you instead, this would be a great activity to do sometime this week, Take an inventory of everything God has given you. I mean everything. You know, material, emotional, your abilities, your talents. Take an inventory of everything God has given you, your family, everything, and write it down somewhere. Make a list. And then you want to keep adding to that list over the weeks because more things will come to you. So write down, take an inventory of everything God has given you, write it down somewhere, and then make it a daily practice to be grateful for what you've been given before you ask for what you think you need. Amen? Yeah, be a good activity. So who are we? We're beloved servants of God. And who's God? He is our overwhelmingly generous Lord and Master. And so what is our purpose in the world then? Well, it's to be generous like God is generous. To be generous like Jesus was generous when he walked the earth with everything that we've been given so that God's kingdom can come and his will can be done through us. On earth as it is in heaven in our consumer mindset we operate out of a worldview of scarcity believing that there is only so much and so I need to be careful with what I have and we imagine that if we give away what we have whatever that is well then we of course no longer have it right because we gave it away We have less, and that's frightening because then we might not have enough in the future. That's how the servant with one talent was thinking. He thought he had to protect what he'd been given so that he wouldn't come up short later. And his fear was rooted in believing that his master was a harsh, ungenerous man who would ruin his life if the servant tried to use what he'd been given and failed somehow. But Jesus says, God's not like that. God is overwhelmingly generous all of the time. And you are his beloved servants. So instead of living like consumers, filled with the fear of not getting enough or failing with what we've been given or not having enough, he's inviting us to live like investors, backed by the infinite, riches of God. See, when we're generous, like God is generous with our time, our talents, our emotional energy, our relational energy, our possessions, our money, when we give those things away, we are not losing them. We don't have less. That's the mind shift Jesus is inviting us to make today. See, no, it's it's more like when you put a down payment uh, down down when you pay a down payment. How do you say that? When you put a down payment on a house, right? You haven't lost that money, right? Now, it might feel like it as you're signing the papers over and the money's flowing out, but you haven't lost that house that money. You've simply invested it in an asset. You've invested it in a house. You still have just as much as you've had before. In fact, you're in a better position now because you've done that. Well, when we're generous like God is generous, we are investing in God's kingdom. It tells us that all over the New Testament. And, un- and unlike some types of investing, like maybe investing in stocks or other things, you never, ever lose when you invest in God's kingdom. You never, ever lose when you invest in God's kingdom. God guarantees you an amazing return on your investment. Yeah? Yeah. Jesus is saying to us, be investors, not consumers. Practice generosity. You cultivate an attitude. Of generosity it's not just something we do it's a way we live so that we can live out our purpose as beloved servants of our overwhelmingly generous God be investors not consumers so Lisa's is going to come on up and share about some ways she has been then is applying all this
1: trying to apply So, I feel like I was really slow to learn about generosity. Um, I grew up in a frugal household where my parents provided for our needs and a few extras, but certainly did not spoil us. (laughs) Um, Our family kind of kept to ourselves. We had relatives over at the holidays, but other than that, um, we didn't really have people over. So... There wasn't a lot of sharing going on. And I remember the days when I was outside playing with my friends, and it got to be lunchtime, and my mom would call me over, and she'd say, send your friends home. We can't feed the neighborhood. (laughs) So the lesson that I learned from all that was that it was okay to provide for your own family, but not really do that much for anyone else. So for a long time growing up, I struggled with that feeling of scarcity. I was jealous of things that my friends had. Some of them had white go-go boots. (laughs) (laughs) They got to go to the movies with their whole family. Um, And some even had a room of their own, which being an introvert, that was like my ultimate dream. And then as an adult, When I would hear people talking about their expensive vacations or remodeling their homes, um, buying a new car, I realized those feelings of resentment and jealousy were still there. And even though I heard sermons through the years (laughs) on things like this, how things, yes, like today, how (laughs) things don't satisfy our souls, only our relationship with Jesus does, I still didn't quite believe it. I was sure that if i just got that new pair of shoes or traveled somewhere fabulous or lost those few pounds I wanted to lose, then then I would be fully satisfied. Well, now I've gotten older, and I've gotten or experienced some of those things. And I can tell you now that it is really true that those things have a very fleeting satisfaction. In the past few years, God has nudged me again and again um, uh, in ways to practice generosity, even if it's in small ways like paying for someone's coffee. And those things have been very freeing to practice. However, in the last few months, I've stumbled upon another aspect in my life where I'm lacking in generosity. I feel like the Holy Spirit has been highlighting to me that I've been irritable and critical in my thoughts. And mainly this has revolved around my relationship with Pat. (laughs) Most most of the staff here knows that if you see a trail of water or coffee spilled on the floor, it's because Pat has just gone by. Uh, this also happens at home. <laughs> and I've noticed myself getting grumpy as I wipe up spills or put away the can of shaving cream that's been left out or cupboard, cupboards or kitchen drawers that have been left open. I can usually tell exactly where Pat's been in the house by the clues that he's left behind.
0: I just wanted to know I'm around.
1: Yes. <laughs> I can always find him. But the Holy Spirit brought to mind that I'm a detail person, Pat's a big picture person. When he's shaving, he's not thinking about how clean the sink looks. (laughs) He's thinking about new outreach opportunities or things that he wants to say in his next talk. So becoming aware of that has helped me to grow in generosity in my attitude not only towards Pat, but also in other situations. And that feels a lot better, that generosity feels a lot better than being irritable and critical all the time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, generosity affects all sorts of things, right? It really is an attitude that it, it affects the whole way that we live. And Jesus is inviting us into this way of living that is a much, much better way of living where we are constantly letting all the stuff he's poured into us to pour out to others as well, that we can be generous like he's generous. So, you know, I love being generous. You know, there's all sorts of ways I want to keep growing in generosity because I know our God is overwhelmingly generous and I never want to stop becoming generous more and more like him, more and more like Jesus, because that is where the life we long for is found, right? It's found in growing to become like Jesus for the sake of others. That's what we're trying to do here, being generous like he is generous. So be investors, not consumers. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.